been in Romans chapter 8 for the last six or seven weeks. And now we're going to wrap that series up today. So far we started all the way back up in Romans 8 verse 1 where it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And so we started all the way back right there in Romans 8 in verse 1. And we've seen that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We saw that there's spiritual freedom for the life of the believer. What Paul's doing here in Romans chapter 8 is he is celebrating all that the, the life of the believer has. Everything that the believer has in Jesus Christ. And as we went down further into that, we saw that we have the mind of the flesh, we have the mind of the spirit, and that really through the, we have the human depravity and then uh, salvation. So we saw the Apostle Paul compare and contrast that. And then as we went down further, we saw the relationship that we each have through Jesus Christ. The relationship with God, the relationship that God has, and that God has adopted us into his family through salvation, and that we are counted as heirs with Christ, joint heirs with Christ, meaning that all that Jesus Christ has, we have in God. We have in Jesus Christ. We inherit the same thing that he has, and we inherit the entire estate with Jesus Christ. And then we saw last week, or two weeks ago, we saw that things in life happen. There's suffering in life. There's hardship in life. There are difficulties in life, but that as a believer, we have a different perspective on suffering. We have a perspective that God is working out a redemptive purpose in each one of our lives, and that sometimes God uses difficulties in our lives to make us more like Jesus Christ, a redemptive purpose in our lives. Then last week, we talked about the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that the Holy Spirit is praying for us. Because why? We have a weakness in prayer. Each one of us, we have a prayer, we have a prayer need, we have a weakness in prayer because we pray selfishly. We pray for our own wants, needs, and desires. And that's not to say that God doesn't want to hear our wants, needs, and desires in prayer, but that we often miss how to pray that we would become more like Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is praying that for us. And then we brought to a close last week we saw the redemptive process that God has put into place for us in salvation. We kind of looked under the hood of the gospel, looked under the hood of salvation, and we've seen, we saw that God has predestined us, that before, when God formed the earth, he put a plan into motion. He destined us to become his child. He predestined for us. And then he called us. Through the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit calls us to God like a father calls a child, like a parent calls a child. The Holy Spirit says, come on, listen to me, listen to God, and the Holy Spirit does that for us. So we're called, and then we're justified. We sang a little bit about justification this morning, that, the, that God looks upon us as sinners, God the Holy Judge, but he sees us through the work of Jesus Christ and declares us righteous declares us not just innocent of sin, but declares us righteous, though we are actually guilty. Well, this morning in Romans 8, 31 through 39, as we bring this chapter to close that we've been studying the last six weeks, the Apostle Paul is going to ask us a lot of questions. One thing that I've learned as a parent of a preschooler is that preschoolers ask a lot of questions, right? The other day I was taking Isaac to preschool here, and he was asking me, Dad, why is the sky blue? 
I don't know. There's some scientific reason. I, my answer was that's the way God made it. You know, that's kind of the cop out when he asks me stuff about, you know, scientific stuff. I don't know. That's the way God made it. He, why is the sky blue? Or uh, he's a, my, my preschooler Isaac, he's almost four. He's a really big Paw Patrol fan. How many of you have seen the cult that is taking over our world right now that is Paw Patrol? Or maybe it's just my house. Isaac's crazy about Paw Patrol. And he asked me, Dad, why are they set up this? I don't know. I'm not the creator of Paw Patrol. You know, let me contact Nickelodeon and find out. I don't know why. That's a question with a preschooler I am constantly confronted with is why. Why, 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 why? Why do these things happen? And that's how kids learn. They ask questions. Well, what the Apostle Paul is going to do in our passage that we're going to look at here in Romans 8 He's going to ask us a series of questions to help us understand the gospel in a, in a deeper way. So the, Paul, the Apostle Paul, it's going to be kind of like a child or a preschool, preschooler asking questions, wanting to know why are these things happening? Why, why, why did God set these courses in place to save us and redeem us? And then what he's going to do is some of these questions are rhetorical. Some of these questions he's going to answer himself so we can understand our salvation and the gospel in a deeper way. So if you have a Bible here, turn to Romans chapter 8 and look at verse 31. That's where we're going to pick up today. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son... But gave him up for us all. Will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a rich, rich passage of Scripture. When I look at these nine verses, I think of sitting down at Christmas time and eating a piece of fudge that is incredibly rich. You can't take it all in. It blows our senses away, but the Apostle Paul walks us through this by asking questions. And my prayer for us this morning as we walk through this rich, rich passage of Scripture is twofold. One... You may be here this morning and you're not sure about Jesus. You may even be skeptical about the church. Well, my prayer is that as we walk through this section that you will be so overwhelmed by the love that God has for you and that the Holy Spirit by God would bring you to himself. 
that you would see the lengths and the depths that God has gone to because he loves you. And then second, for those of, of us who are believers, who are Christians, that we would be so overwhelmed by the love that God has for us as his children that we can't help, that we can't help but live our lives in a lifestyle of worship and be motivated to share that love, that good news, the gospel, with, so, with someone. So as we go through this passage, let's start with the first question that we see here in verse 31. So look again at verse 31. It says this, What then shall we say to these things? What things? What is Paul talking about here when he says, What shall we say about these things? Well, look at, up at verse 30. It's kind of a continuation of what we saw last week. But up at verse 30, he says, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So Paul's saying, what shall we say to these things? He's bringing this chapter to a conclusion. What shall we say to these things? Paul's talking about this redemptive process that we walked through last week. The fact that God set his affections on us. The creator of the entire universe, God Almighty set his affections on us before the creation of the world and predetermined that he would conform the believer to the image of Christ, that he would call us through the Holy Spirit, he would justify us, declare us righteous, and then one day glorify us until all are set new in heaven and on earth. And so Paul says, what can we say about that? There's so much to say about that. It's almost incomprehensible. It's glorious. God's redemptive purpose, the gospel, it gives us hope. It makes us right with God. And then it provides us a mission to accomplish. Let's keep going. Verse 31. The next question is, if God is for us, who can be against us? You may have heard this passage before. If God is for us, who can be against us? And so the question we have to ask is, how for us is God? Do you know God is for you? He is on your side. God wants, has your best interest in mind. So how for us is God? I would say he's pretty for us. Because God initiated love for us. He initiated that love to us. And how did he initiate it? He sent Jesus to die to fix our broken relationship. We each have a broken relationship with God. Even though we were, we were rebellious towards him, we are naturally rebellious towards him. We shake our fist at him. We want to be in control. We want to be God in our life. We don't want anything else to tell us what to do or how to do it. God still loved us. And he moved towards us in Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to explain that. Look at verse 30, uh, verse 32. He says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave, him, uh, gave for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God, when he decided to send Jesus, God with us, Emmanuel, when he decided to send God with us, he didn't spare anything. He gave it all. He gave himself up for us. He gave it all. So the rhetorical question is, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? 
If God would come in the flesh, fully God, fully man, in Jesus Christ, and come initiate that love for us to die for us, will he not graciously give us all things? He's already given us it all. It's a rhetorical question. The answer is obvious. God is not holding out on us. If we believe in him, he is going to provide what is absolutely necessary to conform us to become more and more like Jesus Christ to sanctify us. Because that is the ultimate goal of God in your life. The ultimate goal, the ultimate mission and vision that God has in your life is to make you more like Jesus Christ. And that's sanctification. So let's go to the next question. We're, we're popping through these really fast. Verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God, God's elect? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? So we need to be drawn to that first part of the question. Because here's the reality. This is not a fun reality. This is not something that makes us feel warm and fuzzy. But here's the reality. You and I are guilty we have charges that can be brought against us. Why? Because we're each sinful. We each have broken God's laws. You look at the Ten Commandments. We've all broken those. We've all, everyone in this room has lied. We've each cheated. We've lusted. We've gotten angry. We get bitter and prideful and on and on and on. We're all guilty. There are charges that can be brought against us. If we were to put up on this screen, and we're not going to do this. First of all, we don't have the technology to do it, thank goodness. But if we were to put up here on this screen every intention of our hearts, every private thought, I think every one of us would get out of here as fast as we could. That would be embarrassing if we could somehow put each of our thoughts and our private uh, intentions and our motives up on the screen, we would be finding the exits quickly. Why? Because we're guilty. We're guilty. There are charges that can be brought against us. Even the most morally good of us in this room here this morning, even the most morally good of us and the nicest and most giving of us, we are all guilty. Because when we compare ourselves to the absolute holiness of God, we feel the weight of our sinfulness. So there are charges that can be brought against God's elect, those he has called to himself. But Paul answers his own question when he says here at the end of verse 33. There's an idea of a courtroom here. There are charges that can be brought against us. There is a prosecutor that can say, no, they've done this. They've lied, they've cheated, they've lusted, they've gotten angry, they've gotten bitter. They have bad intentions of their heart. They have the wrong motives in what they do. There is a prosecutor, but then we have a defense attorney. Because look at verse 33, the very end. It is God who justifies. So again, that word just justified means to declare righteous. So again, imagine this courtroom. We are being accused, the accuser, the evil one, Satan, saying they are guilty, they have sinned, they don't deserve your love, they should be separated from you. And then, that's right. We are guilty. 
We do, we do deserve condemnation, guilt, and judgment for our sin. But here's what Jesus does. Jesus steps into the courtroom and says, no, stop everything. They are not guilty. Not because of anything they've done, but because of what I've done on the cross and dying for them. And Jesus says, not only are they not guilty, they are justified. They are righteous. So think about that for a moment. You and I are guilty. We deserve punishment. We deserve that sentence of guilty. But Jesus comes in and says, no. They are righteous because of what I have done. So it is God who justified. We talked about this last week. Being justified. Justification is the legal act where God looks at us through the lens of the work of Jesus and declares us righteous when we should be declared guilty. So no one can bring a charge against a believer because Almighty God himself has declared us righteous. And so this is a reality that each one of us can experience if we believe in Jesus Christ. Though we are guilty and sinful, Jesus has made a way for us and declared us righteous. So if here's the reality. Here's where the rubber meets the road. If you are here this morning and you feel the weight and guilt of your sin and you feel like you're being suffocated maybe by your past and what you have done, believe in Jesus Christ and you can be saved. You can be righteous in the sight of God. Believer, if you're a Christian this morning, there is no need to have spiritual anxiety. There is no need to try to be good. That doesn't mean we can live however, however we want and anything goes. But we don't have to be good. Because the reality is we can't be good. There's nothing good in us. Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 6. There's nothing we can do good. But because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, we are counted then righteous. We don't have to be good. So believer, stop trying to be good. But trust in the work of Jesus Christ who's made you righteous. Drop the spiritual anxiety. You don't have to feel guilty anymore. Because it says in verse 1, there is what? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no guilt, there is no judgment in Jesus Christ. So now look at the next question, verse 34. What's the next question that Paul asks us? He says, who is to condemn? Who is to condemn? Again, that word condemn, what does that word mean? It means to pronounce guilt. It means to pronounce shame and judgment. So the question is asked, who is to condemn? Well, the answer is this, verse 34, Christ Jesus is the one who died. And more than that, he didn't stay dead. Jesus was raised from the dead to give brand new spiritual life. And now he's at the right hand of God and is interceding or praying for us. So here's the reality that we saw last week and now we see this week. We have two members of the Trinity right now interceding for us. We have Jesus Christ who is praying for us, interceding on our behalf. We have the Holy Spirit who's praying for us because we have a weakness in prayer. We pray selfishly. But the Holy Spirit is praying for exactly what it is that we need to be sanctified, to be more like Jesus Christ. So do folks, do you hear this? Do you understand this? 
even though we are guilty and unclean before God, we are justified not by anything we've done, but by Jesus. And so no charge, no condemnation can be brought against us. And that's why Paul opens up this chapter all the way back. If you have a pen you like to write in your Bible, take a pen from that word who is to condemn in verse 34 and draw an arrow all the way up to verse 1 because it's connected right there because there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no guilt, there's no shame, and there's no judgment because of Jesus Christ. Let's keep going. Verse 35. Verse 35, it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, or danger, or sword. I love this verse. Because it speaks to real life. This is real life that's being talked about here in Romans 8. Bad things happen in life. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Why do bad things happen to good people? It's a really deep question that we wrestle with. Why does God allow suffering in the world? Why does this happen? But here's a truth we must understand. Christianity is not the life and belief system for the faint of heart. Because as we've talked about through this series through Romans 8, there's teaching that God really just wants us to be happy, healthy, and wealthy. And that's a dangerous thing to teach because that's not always the reality. Life as a believer, life as a Christian, it is not a free ride. Don't let anyone tell you that. They're lying. Bad things happen. Difficulties happen. Trials happen. As one writer, as I was reading this week, it says that you cannot try to scrub Christianity clean from sorrow. You can't try to scrub it clean from sorrow. It's impossible. Even in Christ, there is suffering. The Bible refuses to allow it. Even in verse 36, look at verse 36. Psalm 44 is quoted, as it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Folks, difficulties in your life are going to come. You might be walking through it right now. You may go through it eventually. You may have gone through it in the past. Well, it's going to happen. Each one of us are going to walk through dark times in our lives. But here's a promise for you to claim. Here's something you can take to the bank. Because the question is asked, can anything separate us from the love of Christ? Can anything separate us from the love of Christ? Can tribulation, can difficult things in life separate us from the love of Christ? Can persecution, persecution, being persecuted and killed and hurt for our belief in Christ. Did you know right now, right now in the Middle East, there are brothers and sisters in Christ that are currently being persecuted for their beliefs. In Muslim nations, there are people right now being killed, being persecuted because of their belief in Christ. 
and their proclamation of it. See, here in the United States, we don't know anything about that. Persecution to us is someone looking at us funny because we're, Christ- we're believers and Christians. We don't even understand persecution as Americans. But can tribulation, can persecution, can famine, can nakedness or poverty, can danger or even death by the sword separate the Christian from the love of Christ? Can these difficult, hard things separate us from the love of Christ? Well, look at verse 37 for your answer. What's the answer? No. It's not no. It's an emphatic no. No. In fact, Paul says no, verse 37. In all these things, in all these things, tribulation, persecution, famine, poverty, nakedness, danger, death by the sword. No. Even in all these things, he says, we are more than conquerors. We're not just taking it. We're dishing it out. We're conquerors, right? We're conquerors. We're conquering because of what Jesus Christ, through him who loved us. So even in the predetermined calling, justifying, glorifying work that God is doing, that we've seen here in in Romans 8 the past few weeks, God is saying right now to you and me, even in tribulation, even in famine, even in nakedness and poverty and danger, even under the sword and the threat of death, you cannot be separated from the love of Christ. It's impossible. You cannot be separated from it. Jesus told his disciples in John eleven thirty five, John eleven thirty five, I or I, John eleven, I know my people, and no one can pluck them from my hand. We sang that in the the hymn we sang in Christ alone. It says, "There is no one that can pluck me from His hand." There's nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ, and that is the beauty of Christianity. This is the.
through the word. And so as we do that, look at verse 38 and then we're done. It says, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor death nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise God and all glory to Christ. Pray with me. God, thank you for the gospel. Thank you that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you that you initiated your love towards us. You moved towards us even though we were sinful. Even though we were rebellious towards you and we are guilty and there are charges that can be brought up against us. You provided your son, Jesus, to die for our sins. So that we can be forgiven, that we can be justified, we can be made righteous in your sight. But we thank you that it just doesn't even stop there. We thank you that there is nothing. There is nothing here on this earth. No power of hell nor scheme of man can pluck us from your hand. And God, I pray that that would bring those who may be skeptical and those who do not know you, that that love would compel them to pursue you and to seek you out and to get some answers. And I pray for those, God, for those of us who are your church, that are believers, that during those times in our lives that are dark, that are difficult, that we will remember that there is nothing, nothing that can separate us from your love. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would just stand.